Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Okay, here we are. I am Keith Lowell Jensen of Keith Lowell Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Uh, here for our, I, I'm losing count now, our sixth or seventh episode. Things have been going great. I'm still on a high from talking to Wendy and Richard Penny of ElfQuest. Uh, what a just geek fantasy come true that was for me. Um and, and I'm in a weird place where I, I, I'm feeling kind of optimistic today, but but not trusting it. You know, I mean, Trump lost the election. Pfizer had some great trials of their new vaccine. And the world just feels like maybe it's ending a little slower than it had been previously, uh, where, you know, we had really ramped things up for a few years. So um, I am still getting daily hate mail from Trump supporters literally every day. Uh, the latest one I got right before I logged on to do this just said, um, you are a tool. Um, <laughs> and it's wild because I'm way less political than many comics that I know. Uh, but apparently it doesn't take much. And, and this is good because them being out there and reminding me that they're out there bursting my, my bubble, as they say, a little bit. Uh, is a good reminder of the big problems that we still have. And it keeps me from getting too optimistic and relaxing. It keeps me grounded. So that's nice. Um, Before I introduce my guest today, I want to remind you that I am currently promoting the heck out of my latest special, Not For Rehire, a storytelling comedy special about my inability to hold a job. It's uh, It's now playing on Amazon Prime. I typed it's not playing. That would be weird. It's not playing on Amazon Prime, so don't watch it there. No, it is. It's playing on Amazon Prime. If you have Prime, you can go watch it for free. And, and I beg you to not just watch it, but to leave a review and then to tell your friends about it. Uh, I try to make my comedy available for free whenever possible. I've always had a, you know, open guest list policy at all of my shows. And all I ask from you is to be my advertising because I don't, I don't have an advertising budget. If I charged you guys more money, maybe I would, but I I love you too much. Uh, Okay, then. So my guest today is Shane Moss, who uh, it was my pleasure to work with Shane a year or two back. Uh, It was one of the most memorable shows I've ever been on, and not just because I mispronounced his name. Uh, (laughs) Did you? Uh, yeah. What, oh, I should never mind. Did my, you? I, my first or my last name? Did, never mind. Never happened. You, what'd you do, uh, Mouse? Okay, I'm gonna. I called. Yes, it sounds like I'm probably not the first. Well, that's not even. I mean, first of all, I'm mispronouncing my last name. Oh, thank my God. Family is mispronouncing. It's spelled M A U S S, which is a German name, and Germans pronounce it Mouse. And somewhere along the way. My family had a little flub and like went with it, I guess. They went with and it. so we say Moss, but that's I'm incorrect. I'm incorrect for pronouncing my name the way that I was raised <laughs> to say it. <laughs> I, I should have argued all this in your introduction that night. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage Shane Mouse, who pronounces it Moss, but really it's Mouse. Trust me. Uh, the, the other, it was one of the worst times i've ever had introducing someone but it was a great show i just got insecure about that i i was introducing timothy meadows at the punchline mm. you know tim meadows from yeah uh, from snl Saturday Night live yeah yeah uh, well, i forgot his La- name ladies man or something <laughs> the ladies yeah. man. i'm literally on stage doing the whole you know him from snl the ladies man and i'm, I'm just trying to waste time that's right because i don't remember his name 
Yeah. And my eyes are scanning all the tables and I got lucky. And sure enough, there was a flyer for that night's show on one of the tables and I was able to read his name. And I, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Meadows. Oh, <laughs> it was I mean, so close to a disaster. When uh, I, I started right. in comedy, I, I had a, I had a quick rise from, from like, from open mic to being able to like get actual spots on shows and then like guest spots and stuff like that. And then within six months, I got my first hosting gigs and I was especially, um, dry and, uh, and, and, uh, kind of, uh, uh, monotone ish, uh, delivery back then, and it just it does it definitely wasn't like the cheerleadery kind of. And I did a lot of dark material and everything else, but right. I was also so exceptionally bad at intros. I still am. In fact, for my podcast, here we are, where I interview a different scientist each week. I say their name, hopefully correct, at the stop of the uh, at the top of the show. Have them stop me, and we re-record when I don't, which is often. <laughs> and then I have them introduce themselves and what they do because I am so bad at it. But I was so bad at intros and just hosting generally that get this, they bumped me up to feature like right away i got i got promoted for being such a bad host because people still liked my like the club owners liked my jokes and stuff a lot and and like i did really well anytime i wasn't hosting so they're like <laughs> okay we'll have you feature and i didn't know that ho- that featuring was like the sweet spot of the show oh, yeah. So I just thought I was a comedy god, like because right, I'm right. like one year into comedy, and I'm like crushing <laughs> and getting all these spots that every other comic that had been doing it for years was hoping to get, and and well, uh, yeah, really uh, inflated the old ego way more than was appropriate. That's why it's That's important great. to be cautiously optimistic. Yes. Like I'm, I err toward, um, I, I would call myself cautiously pessimistic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's my normal state of being. That's why I don't trust this. I like dark things. I, I typically tend to think like, I don't like platitudes. I don't like um, self-helpy type stuff. Uh, and I, I tend to, I tend to think that life is, uh, much darker than how it, it, it's like typically presented, um, at least from like my wholesome Midwestern upbringing, um, point of view. Um, but I don't want to go so far down that it's like delusional. I want to be accurate within that within that pessimism. So I would say that I'm cautiously pessimistic. (laughs) Let me uh, go ahead and and interject your introduction real quick, because as the best interviews uh, do, this one's already off and running. Um, And then you can stop me and correct me if anything here is, I mean, you wrote this, I think, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> stand, Where'd you find this? Comedian. I got my site. 
or yes. something. Oh, Stand-up comedian, adventurer, and science enthusiast Shane Moss has been interviewing scientists each week since 2014. Originally from La Crosse, Wisconsin, this former factory worker skipped college to become a comedian. His stand-up has been on Comedy Central, Conan, Kimmel, Showtime, and Epics. In the age of podcasting, more people might be familiar with him as a guest on Trussell, Holmes, Kreischer, Vaughn, Marin, or Rogan, or, or of course, Keith Lowell Jensen. Compelled to talk about bigger ideas, he now travels to universities around the world, when there isn't a pandemic, to interview researchers on a journey to learn what makes us who we are, as well as a bunch of other random stuff you never imagined you would care about. Favorite topics include psychology, biology, evolution, cognitive biases, behavioral economics, mating animal behavior, neuroscience, uh, entheogens. I honestly don't know what that is. And those are psychedelics. Oh, excellent. We will talk about that. Believe you me. That's a way to avoid saying the using the word psychedelic. (laughs) But for but for my for my fans that are fans of mine from my psychedelic stuff, it's a little tip of the hat to them without setting off alarms in other people. (laughs) You are in in one way the easiest interview I've prepared for because we can talk about literally anything. That is true. Um, But you're also one of the most intimidating because you don't just know a lot about different topics. You kind of specialize in what makes us tick. And I have to admit that makes me feel a little bit naked. Uh, Oh, like a little imposter syndrome or something like what? Yeah. uh, Or or is it or is it that you think that I can like. Uh, you, you know, because I'm into psychology, I like know, uh, I, I can read your mind and, and pick apart everything that's wrong with your thinking or something. I that, think that's you nailed the it the things. first time. I think it's yeah. more of an imposter syndrome thing about this guy knows I'm full of shit. I think it's, and, and a lot of people get that with talking to psychologists oh, as well. Man. Or yeah. even, you know, my, my, uh, my father-in-law is a psychiatrist and we have caught, but you know, when there's not a pandemic, we have coffee uh, once a month, uh, he and I, and I mean, I've asked him point blank before. I'm like, are you analyzing me right now? And I felt insecure asking it because I was like, oh, that's the, you know, horrible, insecure question that everyone asks him. But his answer was, oh, absolutely. And then I laughed and he's like, <laughs> no, really? And then he kind of tells me so, like some of his analysts and I'm like, uh, or analysis. And I'm like, oh, this is real. Oh, shit. Like, that's horrible. <laughs> so stop it. Stop it. I'll show you what I want you to see. And you're not allowed to see between the lines. <laughs> the, <laughs> I don't care I, how smart you are. I have uh, many times, not many, but I, I, I have several times um, before a podcast. I've just canceled the podcast because I don't have it in me to feel dumb that day. <laughs> and I'm always, I'm always talking with people that aren't only probably just generally smarter than me and more informed than I am, but, but are just such incredible experts in the very specific thing that they have spent their career doing. And yeah, I, I mean, that's part of, uh, so, so that's one, that's the first S the imposter syndrome, which is this, this, um, feeling that if, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be uh, blessed with self-awareness that we all have, uh, those of us that have that are, are going to be wondering, uh, it, it, you know, people can 
Um, people can be overly confident and then people can be, um, the, you know, have, have issues and like not believe in themselves when they can. So imposter syndrome is when you're like, or both at the same time. Yeah. You want to fall within like the intellectual humility is, is like right. This perfect sweet spot in between there. And, and who knows exactly what that even means, but, but imposter syndrome is so like this idea that you're, you find yourself in a situation as a comedian or talking with experts in this or that or whatever. And then you go like, what the hell am I doing here not just the interviews that i've canceled but how many times i've been like wheeling all of my equipment through some prestigious university to right. like past all of this like fancy equipment and this and i've never i never went to college and i was a c student going what the hell am i doing here not only is this person going to think that i'm an idiot and i'm gonna waste their time they're probably saving taking a break from saving the world to talk to my <laughs> dumbass, and then all my listeners are going to hear how stupid i am but it does help to know that imposter syndrome is one of these pervasive aspects of the human condition even people who study imposter syndrome are like who am i to study imposter syndrome i mean who who do I think I am? Isn't so, it great how much knowing it exists can offer relief, though? Like This is a big aspect of mindfulness. And I yeah. mean, a big part of why I, I I love psychology and not just because it's one of the fields where you don't really have to prove things as well as like mathematics. I need to like put together a formula. I need to show you an answer and show you my work. Psychology, we're all like, yeah, okay. Uh, let me uh usually what we do on the show is uh i I let people talk a little bit and then i jarringly yank them back to their childhood and kind of get their origin story um you uh where did you grow up your your bio says one thing and then wikipedia says on alaska wisconsin oh yeah so on alaska is a a suburb of of lacrosse wisconsin Okay. Um, and yeah, so it has, um, let's see, it's like 40,000 people or something like that when school's in session. Um, it's in between, if you were driving from Madison to Minneapolis, it would be directly in between. And in between Lacrosse and either of those cities is nothing but farmland. So it's not okay. a small city, but it's surrounded by nothing but farms it has the most bars per capita in the entire united states i <laughs> think the last time i checked and it has to be less especially now but but even over the last decade or so since drinking has has is not as popular as it once was um it was i had 200 and uh 76 bars last time that i checked which is um, you know, I, I imagine that's, that's more than, um, than, uh, uh, uh I'm having a brain fart right now. Oh, Sa- Sacramento, that's where you are, right? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I imagine there's less bars than that in Sacramento, which I imagine is, has way more people. Um, and I think they used to have, they used to go back and forth with, um, Bourbon Street for most bars on one street. Uh, they had about 104 bars on one street. This is a city of 40,000 people. This and, may be 
uh, horribly unfair yeah. to uh, on Alaska and lacrosse. Uh, but when I think of Bourbon Street, it's, you know, down in, is it in the tropics? It's close to the tropics. It's in a warm place. There's uh, yeah. jazz music. Uh, <laughs> no, this is more like a sad dive bar. Right. Kind it's, of a it's, a, it's like a celebratory bunch of bars versus oh, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not picturing a celebratory bunch of bars. I, I'm, no. I'm thinking this shouldn't be a proud calling card. Uh, no, this is, Johnson. this is like, um, a big street of like the world's biggest dart league or something like that. Okay. Uh, that that's the kind of situation that, that you're you're looking at um and yeah so so you can like look at the covid map right now and uh and right. you can see my area has uh you know about the highest nice highest rates red. but w- wisconsin is glowing red um right now i actually so i'm here right now i i came um when my tour got canceled i came to like well i'll before I talked with any infectious disease people about COVID, I was like, oh, I guess I'll hunker down for a couple months and visit my parents and then uh, get back out there on the road. <laughs> and I'm still here deciding what Seven I'm going to do later. for the winter, um, if I'm going to move or just hunker down here more. But I was, I was, um, you know, I had a couple COVID scares recently as things were in rates were like, increasing um around here and then i drove by this uh this like american legion and i saw all of these people just like tons i i haven't seen a gathering like this like in person um since i i don't go out much but but since covid's happened i mean i've seen gatherings on the news but there's just so many people and i'm like what is going on you know this is like a few weeks ago i'm like what is going on here and I looked into it and it was a um, it was a community fundraiser to get a remodel for the bar, <laughs> not, not to keep the bar open to like, let's get an upgrade. All right. Uh, <laughs> quick. Like, as, what, just, what, a, what a wonderful time. <laughs> just. Let's all get together and spruce up this bar during a pandemic. It's just people just are not getting uh, getting the situation um, right now. Uh, it, and, it's and terrifying. We, we, we had we had Trump come through just before the election. I have several of my aunts and uncles uh, went to the rally, took like I'm proud so uh, maskless selfies at the rally. And it's wow. uh yeah so that's that if that gives you a sense of my upbringing. yeah so, <laughs> i have a picture of the place let's talk about you at at age 10 you wanted to be a stand-up comedian yeah uh, was there a particular comedian you saw that triggered that no i had a friend that was so it was you know I, you I don't had know a ten-year-old friend who was a stand-up. No, no, I had a friend that was uh, so. So it was around the age that you know, like third or fourth grade, when we were like, "What are we gonna be when we grow up? A fireman or a doctor or astronaut or right. one of the three? And um, just nothing seemed um, that appealing 
to me. And, uh, and I, I think I just didn't get adults. I had no interest in ever becoming one. And one day I was playing video games with a friend, made him laugh. And I was, I was pretty funny amongst my, um, my small group of friends at the time. Uh, And I was otherwise a very shy kid, but, um, but, I made him laugh really hard and he's like, you should be a stand-up comedian. And I was like, what's that? And he is like, it's someone that stands up in front of people and makes them laugh. And I was like, what do you like gets paid to do that? And, then, <laughs> and like, there was just something like the timing was just right that it just clicked in my brain just so that it was like right then and there, I was like, that's what I'm doing. For, I mean, I often curse that day, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it really got locked in there. Like, I, I mean, I'd never, I, I had issues with authority and school and, um, my name was like already like kind of on the board and stuff. And I, I questioned my religious upbringing from like the age of five. I, I kind of remember having like the, around, around the time that we were learning that maybe Santa Claus wasn't real. I was also questioning um, that. And so I found life to be pretty confusing and didn't trust adults. And then that was when it really went. Then I I, I became a, a mischievous um, young man and, and kind of abandoned uh, paying any attention in school ever and just sat around dreaming about becoming a comedian. But as far as comedians that I enjoyed, uh, I mean, UHF was my favorite movie nice. ever. Um, I liked Pee Wee Herman uh, standups. I really liked Emo Phillips and Stephen Wright. And Jim Carrey was like my god as a, a oh, great older and in living color and and, I, I'm uh, guessing Emo movies. Phillips was around the period of live at uh, Hasty Puddings Theater. Oh boy, I I think so. That yeah. that special just I should go it, it back played in our house those. over and over and over again. It was so great. I don't even think I would remember much of it, um, but yeah. I, and then I remember as in my early t- teens. That's. I, you know, I started seeing stand-ups on late night. I started recording David Letterman each night. And then I started, um, um, when, when comedy central, uh, arrived that that's when, uh, that that's when my like true studies began because I, I okay. saw from, from that. T- so that was, I don't know, 94 or something like that until 2009 when I, I accomplished my, dream of getting a comedy central presents i had seen absolutely every single stand-up anything that had ever appeared on comedy central good bad oh wow usually most of them like twice at least um and i i watched stand-up every single day and would record it and uh and i liked actually watching bad comedy almost as much as Good comedy when I was by myself, when I was around others, right. I'd show them the good stuff. But I, I liked seeing like what I thought people were doing off or right or the common mistakes that I thought people were making. And um and yeah, so that that was like my early um kind of uh, uh introduction into so so when people are like, Who's your favorite comedian? I'm like, 
I just watched as much as I could, as many different people as I could. And I kind of liked watching the bad people. Like, I think it also gave me self-confidence too. I I think that that's one of the things that's really great about uh, our careers starting at open mic nights and showcases is that we get uh, this thing that we're trying to do gets humanized. And, and like you said, you also get to see what isn't working. You get to see certain things that, comic after comic after comic does i remember Mm -hmm. early on observing that the hackier comedians always nodded yes or shook their head no after every punchline and i was like oh let's make a note not to do that i don't even know if i was doing that but i made a very specific note not to do that oh man Um, i was such a fucking comedy police when i started (laughs) too there was like a comedy forum where we all had anonymous names and stuff like that but like everyone knew who i was (laughs) And, uh, and, and on there and I was, I was really comedy. It's, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing looking back, but I was such a, like, I, it's funny now that I'm 40, you know, I started 16 years ago and, uh, I mean, seeing because when I started, I did so much new stuff all of the time. So seeing right. some of the older guys that got a little set in their ways and would and wouldn't work any new material in and would have the same exact headlining set like every single time you saw them. Uh, I was like, who are these guys taking up space with their hack crap? And uh, you get older, I'm like, oh yeah, the, uh, other things become important to you uh, right. when you want to like do yoga and self care and like. <laughs> and I can do. tell that I got that tried and true one I'll do Friday night. I'm not going to stress about it all week. <laughs> yeah. in my life. Um, so so you're 10 and you know that you want to do comedy. Um, you start writing jokes when you're a teenager, but it takes until you're 23 before you make the jump. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm reading that you struggled with anxiety early on and that that, uh, even though you knew what you wanted to do, that kept you from, from pursuing it sooner. There was this thing that I had, which was like, I really didn't want anyone that I knew to find out that I wanted to be a comedian because like uh, uh, my humble Midwestern upbringing, I was worried that people would like poo poo my ideas or even worse. Like I, uh, and rightfully I thought people would be like, tell me a joke or, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and so I, that's why I like, because I could have started, I waited until I could save up money and move to a coast just because it's so crazy looking back on it because I could have gone to an open mic in my hometown and no one would have been the wiser. But right. um, but even even the idea of going to like Madison or Minneapolis two and a half hours away, it was like, well, I have high school classmates <laughs> in that town. What if someone happened to see me? And oh, God. There was and there was something about like really needing to perform for strangers and and also you probably saw that on uh, a Wikipedia and uh, whoever wrote that like uh, 
went through all of like the newspaper articles that were written about me when when I first caught all these breaks. And because right. no one cares about stand up, uh, journalists need to make everything sound like some like hero story and right. and some epic myth of triumphing over something or other. And so I is this a more that you were anxious. <laughs> this is more that you were anxious than that you had anxiety is what I'm maybe hearing. Yeah, I mean, I did. <laughs> I, I remember when I started, I had horrible state. Uh, like every every single time that I got on stage, I, I went to the same open mic for eight weeks straight. Once I finally was able to like sign up for an open mic, and every single time before they called my name, as my name was approaching, I was like, I'm. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to leave and I'm not going to come back. I'm going to find something else uh, to do with my life. I know that I've told myself for 15 years <laughs> that I was going to do this, but change the plans. Like yeah. I can't, I can't get up there right now. I mean, the open mic that I started at was also particularly bad. Um, so this I, was in Boston. Yeah. in Dorchester, uh, Massachusetts in particular, which is the, uh, so it was, it was in, um, the worst bar, it was called the Emerald Isle. It no longer exists. It was in, it was in the worst bar in the worst, uh, part of the worst city in all of Massachusetts. Um, okay. and, <laughs> and, uh, and it, I, I mean, I got mugged at gunpoint one time there and, oh, wow. uh, and it was like, I mean, it, they never had heating or air conditioning, so it was always either freezing or really hot, depending. It was, uh, they had two different, um, uh, so they had a bar side and then a showroom side, and they had bathrooms on both sides. Only one side ever worked, and then usually within that, only like the male or female would usually ever work. There usually wasn't like a stall door left on it, like that kind of a situation. Oh, the glamour of showbiz. If you got a draft beer, it was always like just, you know, they hadn't, I think that I told, I think that I told them about cleaning lines that that was like, they didn't even know (laughs) that was a thing that you could like clean the tap lines. And (laughs) Uh, they just bribed the, um, uh, uh, whatever the, um, you know, local, uh, officials that would go and do inspections. They, they'd bribe the inspectors to, uh, uh, and, and, um, uh, and they did an open mic where it was a true open mic. If you signed up, you got on stage. So the open mic was often like five, six hours long. Um, there was never an audience other than other comedians sometimes right. people would bring like a few of their friends or something like that uh, friends and, who would learn their lesson and never uh, yeah, come back again yeah well because <laughs> then you'd want to put that person on like kind of late so that those people uh, then they'd so be they don't mad. Leave, it was right. like a whole thing <laughs> and 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 you know all the comedians aren't sitting there watching intently like right. to a good laugh and applaud it whoever's on stage they're all like on the side of the room talking and having beers and stuff so like i i remember i do a new five minutes every night and if i got like a, if i got like a huh uh you know if i got i i was like whoa write that one down (laughs) killing that's a keeper and i i i remember putting like 
I, I would get one of those, like a 30 second joke out of my five minute set. And then after the eight weeks, I, I did a five minute set at a real show, the comedy studio in, uh, in Harvard square. It was like the hip, uh, still is kind of like the hip, um, hip ish kind of club in town, uh, a, a mix between like road guys and alt, um, stuff and, okay. uh, and just absolutely killed and was like, uh, you know, really taken under the wings of a bunch of like great people like Joe list that was already kind of establishing himself there and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of awesome, um, well-respected comics there, um, that happened to see me. And then I got to do clubs and stuff fortunately after that. Cause, Oh yeah, here's the other thing about that open mic. It was, uh, so it started at eight. It usually started late and then it would go until about bar time two two in the morning. But, um, it, if you stuck around until midnight, the owner would would get um, pizza for everyone, and okay. you'd get a slice of pizza if you performed. It was just a way of getting people to stay there and drink, basically. Um, right. And the owner did like comedy and everything, and and like tried to like make shows happen, not just the open mic, but tried to do other things there. And, um, and a good dude, but but uh, he uh, so so because of this. Um, there would be homeless people that would come in to sign up to do uh, sets so that they could get to get the pizza, slice of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was that was my upbringing. And so, like you know, I'm and it's funny because I was so scared of stage fright that I didn't, I or or someone seeing me that I let. Madison and Minneapolis are two of the best cities in the country to start comedy at. And I left that area for like Boston, which I don't want to go and perform in Boston now. It's absolutely (laughs) some of the worst crowds in the country. I hate Boston. Thank you for saying this. Sorry to anyone listening from Boston, but that is real high on my list of like least favorite cities. Oh yeah. It's (laughs) awful. Um, I was there for way too long. Three three years was good. I stayed there for like six. Um, but but yeah, I could have gone to Minneapolis where they have the best open mic. Like a Monday night, it open mic night. There's like there it usually sells out like 250, 300 seats. And, right. and they put like a good host on and people know what's up. You like they're like right. very generous and like <laughs> and understanding and forgiving and like that's where i could have started you, you know another funny thing about that though maybe this was good for my self-esteem because in boston so i, I did a lot of um i did a lot of uh early on now i do like themed shows and and then you did right. what you do my stand-up science show or my psychedelic yes, show the stand-up science yeah so so now i do a lot of like different stuff but uh but i used to and i i'm i'm much more of like a um, sitting around the campfire type of vibe when i started i was much more of like a stephen wright ish kind of vibe and uh one-liners yeah yeah short jokes absurdist kind of stuff and and i especially liked um i I was like a edgier like dirty or something like stephen wright so so uh, uh, 
a little more like an Anthony Jesselneck or something like that. So you don't so, you don't have a joke from then that you still remember, do you? Um, like um, uh, God, uh, like I'm. Uh, oh, here's my very first joke. This is funny. The, uh, not not the joke necessarily, but the. Story <laughs> Uh, this is fine. not the joke, but that the, I told it. <laughs> the, the, this is, it, it's not bad. I mean, it's structurally sound. This is the <laughs> very first joke that I ever told on stage was I masturbate so much that my bed sheets are like a starched mold of my naked erect body. That's Seriously, I could bring a girl home and have a three way. <laughs> Sorry, bed sheets. I get the butt this time. <laughs> that was my very first joke. Now, here's what's funny about that is that all that stage fright, all that buildup was like to say that, uh, you know, there's right. like Eminem, you only got one shot like right. in my head. <laughs> And that's what I do is get on stage and do a joke about how I masturbate a bunch. And there's so much cum on my sheets that it's tried to form my body. And like that's uh, that, uh, so ridiculous. But but um, I I had oh what was so what was oh shit where was I going with that before so oh yeah tell me- so so yeah so I so I did this so I had this kind of niche in that I did I did like edgy jokes in a wholesome like ah shucks Midwestern way. And, and everyone in Boston, they're like, wow, you have such an original cadence. And like, they always like liked my delivery and everything. And I was like, I guess I'm just like a comedy genius. I guess this is just like (laughs) what I was meant to do. And then I, and then I went to, um, Minneapolis for the first time and went to an open mic there and every single comic sounded exactly like me just exactly like me right i, I, <laughs> I, I find like, that oh, so I'm fascinating the way your value for certain things can can change regionally I, I, a lot of san francisco comedians who just murder in san francisco but they you know they never want to leave the city right uh, cuz that's the only place they murder uh, but then that the opposite as well Boston. Yeah, that was in, what I loved about Boston was that you had you had your hip place. You, you had like a decent alt scene. You had the A club that's like a little more cookie cutter that, that brought right. in the national headliners. You had the B clubs and th- that that were also cookie cutter. Um, and, and had like some of the more, the hackier people in town or that, and then that's where you'd start featuring first or whatever. But then you had so many like Elks lodges and stuff like that. And most comics either did, you know, the kind of quote unquote road work, which would be the Elks lodges or stuff, the kind of traditionally like not as comedy savvy, maybe a little rougher around the edges and maybe hackier stuff or whatever blue collar stuff does better. And then I, and then I had, and then there was the alt stuff and most, most comics kind of stayed in their lane. And that's one thing I was grateful for was I did, I did um, uh, both. And I was like, I was a factory worker 
um, right. too. And, and so like I had jokes about like being a roofer and working in a factory and, and uh, stuff like that too. But then I also had this weird stuff and, and was like very comedy savvy. And so, uh, so I was, a, a I was always a bit of a, of a hybrid and I always considered myself a road guy until the last few years. And now I, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. It's something, <laughs> something I'm like an independent, like I'm like producing my own shows and stuff like that. What did your parents think during this time where you're not going to college? You're sounds like you're working kind of dead endish jobs and, and you're chasing this stand-up comedy dream that you of course don't want them to see you perform. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get along with my parents well in high school. And so I think they were just happy that I was alive and like, okay. doing whatever that I uh, w- wanted to do and were probably concerned about me and everything else. And uh, that's great. I, you know, I think I did yeah. a similar thing. You, you set the bar low enough in high school. <laughs> you can, oh, yeah. Really? Then your parents are just thrilled that you're not in jail. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was uh, a man. Yeah, uh, that was that was because uh, uh, my my dad had his own business and stuff too, and he he was hoping to you know eventually pass his business on to his f- firstborn, you know, and I I think that that uh, dream sailed like <laughs> he 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 knew early on that that wasn't going to happen. Right. My my sister ended up um, was taking over his business, but, uh, but yeah, but because I didn't tell anyone that I was moving, I, I actually didn't tell anyone that I was a comedian. I mean, I, I told people I was moving. I didn't tell people I was moving to be a comedian. I didn't tell anyone I was a comedian until my first time on Conan. Um, like a week before I was going to be. Oh my goodness. So So that's just totally blue to them. Actually, that's not totally true. I, I told my family I won this award um, as a comedian just before that. Um, and now, which one is that? Because I've got I, I did want to get to we were talking about the open mic nights and then you kind of developing. And it seems like a a big break for you was the um, HBO, the Greater US Boston Comedy Alternative Arts. Comedy Festival. And then from there, the, the HBO Comedy Arts Festival. Yeah, it was the Boston Comedy Festival, uh, and then right. and then people saw me there. That got me uh, that got me selected for the U.S. HBO Comedy Arts Festival, which doesn't exist anymore. But when it did right. exist, it was like Montreal New Faces or something like that. Which right, a- and Montreal New Faces isn't even what it used to be. That used to be like your big break. Like this is your chance right. to be discovered. The model was so much different back then which was like you still needed to get on late night and you needed to be picked. You needed to be discovered right. by by somebody. And now, I mean, those those gatekeepers almost don't even really exist anymore. I mean, they're they're the best they're doing. Late night bookers are, are just trying to validate their jobs at, at this point. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but back then that was I mean, so it was a big deal and, and i i was in i was in the festival so me and kirk fox won an award for best stand-up this was in 2007 the other comics there included john mulaney uh oh, wow tj miller um was no i don't think hannibal was there 
um, uh, 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 oh gosh, who, 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 Kyle Kinane, um, was there? Oh, oh. And then here, here's the, this is the second encounter. The very first time that I went on stage, it was actually the comedy studio. Um, and I was, I had put this set together and it was like going to be really filthy and edgy and everything. And I was very, very worried. It was going to be too much. I'd seen a couple shows there and, and, uh, and the person that went on before me was so outrageously ridiculous and filthy and offensive and everything else that it that it took a load off my mind. That person yeah. later went on to like alienate everyone else like everywhere and was like at open my, like some comics liked liked him including myself I had like mixed feelings but but like just just went on stage and alienated everyone all of the time and then eventually moved to New York and then I saw that person again uh, surprisingly enough, a few years later at this HBO Comedy Arts Festival, that person is Eric Andre. <laughs> oh, wow. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Who was always a lunatic. He was yes, absolutely always a lunatic. That is not a put on. Uh, <laughs> that is, I think he's toned down a little bit. If, I if can't anything. imagine following him, but it sounds like it helped you. It did. It made, I mean, he alienated the entire audience. Uh, they were, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people were like getting ready to leave. Um, yeah. and, and so, so my stuff was pretty adorable by, uh, by, <laughs> by comparison. So, Your threesome with your sheets is, uh, like a kid's yeah, book. Yeah. Point. Yeah. And, so uh, part of winning that is, is, Part of the prize is getting on late night with Conan O'Brien. Uh, that is was that correct. That, it was. It was just the. It was just the case that it was actually better than that. It was the case that if you won that, you pretty much had your choice of many of the big manager, uh, manager and agents, um, like at least companies um, in the country, and then also. Um, it, it was it was basically guaranteed that someone would want want to give you the, your TV break. And, okay, um, so it's not like and, Conan sponsored it, and that was part no, of the deal. But it was kind of a given; it was going to happen. And I, it was kind of like they asked me, so I got representation, and they asked me who, what late night I wanted to be on. Actually, oh, wow. and I said. <laughs> I said Conan because it was it was I I used to really like Letterman, but I as I got older, I started I was working third shift in a factory um, and they used to re-air Conan in the middle of the day on Comedy Central. And that's when I got into Conan and I just really liked his like alternative style and everything. And, uh, right. and so, yeah, so I picked, <laughs> I picked Conan for my debut and then I had a really good, um, television debut. Uh, and then they had me back on again, like six months later. And I didn't even have that good of a set six months later, but it was good. It was fine enough. And then they just had me on again <laughs> and it was Not just good, good enough. It was fine enough. Like it, it wasn't right. my, my second one wasn't that great, but it was also, you know, and it was like it was kind of like sight on scene. Like my 
So my first, when I got my first Conan, the my agent called me. I was on this Fung Wa bus um, from Boston to New York, this discount um, bus to okay. potentially meet my new manager. This is after I'd won that award. And I had, um, I had, uh, I was on the bus. My agent calls me and says, hey, the Conan bookers uh, want to talk to you about getting on. And, um, and I, so I get off the bus, I call them and they're like, Hey, uh, do you have a, could you send us like a DVD or whatever? This is 2007. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, well, I could in like a week or something like I'm in New York right now. And they're like, Oh, could you write a transcript? I'm like, I didn't even bring a computer with me, but maybe I could yeah, I can, I can like find one or go to a library or something. And they're like, could you just like do what your five minute set would be to us uh, over the phone right now uh, on, on the bus? Yeah, no, no. I got, I had just gotten off the bus and I called okay. fortunately. <laughs> and so, and then I, in the, in the streets of like Manhattan in in Chinatown, I was, uh, I, I did my, um, my material, I, I did like a five minute <laughs> bet that I had in mind. At I two. hear about having to go into an office and perform for these guys with no office. This yeah. is worse. this it, is the worst story I've heard of. It was two people on speakerphone, and I also had like jokes that relied on uh, that relied on like audience response, like, like, like where I intentionally, so I'd have to, so I'd say something and then I'd be like, so here's where the audience, um, gets uncomfortable and that's on purpose. (laughs) And then, and then uh, I'd have to say things like that. And they laughed a lot at my stuff. And then, and then they were like, are you available next Monday? And I was like, (laughs) yeah. And then, and then, um, yeah, also at, at the, and then I met my manager and then I, and then he took me to watch a, uh, go to a, uh, taping of, uh, Doug Stanhope special. And then I met Doug afterwards and I'm I was looking at the timing was drunk. It, was it no refunds? Uh, yeah, I think so. It, it was Holy the, shit! That that uh, might be my favorite stand-up comedy special ever recorded. The live at, uh, he recorded at Gotham uh, with the jersey or whatever that yes, he was wearing, and with the libertarian jersey. Yeah, and he, I, I was laughing so hard that he had to stop the show <laughs> and comment on me. That happened. That happened once with him, and that happened to Dave Attell once too. Where so I, so you're a good in laugher. The back of the room, not usually. It like it, it when I laugh, I'm a good laugher, but I don't right. normally laugh that much. Um, and uh, yeah, and then here's the other thing. At the time, I was watching, or I was so, so I did a lot of like, I did like five years of factory work, and then I like got unemployment for a little while and then I needed to that ran out and then I was like a temp laborer at this construction site and and then I was uh and then I saw these like security guys around and they and they knew that I was like um 
uh, uh, you know, a stand-up comic and stuff and thought that was neat. But I saw these security guys around and they were never doing anything. This is this huge construction site with all these, uh, with like, uh, you know, 12 different buildings. You know, one of these like cheap efficiency, like there's pools there and stuff like that. And, uh, right. and, and, um, and so I was like, Hey, how do you, uh, how do you get a job doing that? And they're like, Oh, <laughs> you see these guys standing around doing nothing. And you're like, Oh, I want in. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh, we'll give you a job. And, and what it was, was they, to offset the liability costs of insurance, the insurance, so the insurance requires, if you want to get some discount that you have security there. So what they did was they, they hired the cheapest security company and they didn't want them to interfere with anything. It was just to save money on the insurance costs. And so literally I didn't get a uniform. I didn't get anything. And they were like, put your, (laughs) uh, plant your car, like in front of the gate or whatever. Don't get caught sleeping. That's it. They, they, They even said like, don't even talk to anyone. Like don't, even if you like see someone take something, just like, let us know, but don't like approach the person or, you know, just like, just don't get, don't, don't. Not don't sleep. Just don't right. get caught sleeping. I, <laughs> I got to pick the hours I, I wanted. I sometimes went, I would sometimes pick an overnight shift, leave after all the workers went, go and do a set somewhere and then come back and sleep in my car. Uh, I, oh, I would, I would write a bunch of jokes and stuff. So here's the thing. So this is an old, so here's what happens the night that I'm on Conan. Um, so at this secure, at this construction site, um, so they're finishing, some of the buildings are finished, you know, we're talking like, you know, three story, um, you know, I, I don't know, 40 unit, um, buildings and, and, you know, several, uh, next to each, I think there's like maybe 10 of these buildings on the whole lot. Uh, This was on the site of this old, um, psych ward and it was it was actually the the main part of it they couldn't rip down because it was actually historic and it was actually like meant to there was like some b horror movie there it was like meant to be haunted right and so because of that um before the construction site teenagers used to always go up there and drink and and so the night that i'm on um that i'm on conan for the first time um, some, some teenagers, uh, go, go up, uh, went past the security guy who I'm sure was sleeping or whatever right. and go on and they're having their drinking party or whatever. And someone decided to play a little practical joke, which is they turned the gas on, on one of the, uh, one of the apartment buildings and that building um, exploded, and it—I oh. it, mean, it, I mean, it didn't exist anymore. And and so much so, the the buildings nearby, all of the windows were blown out. The the siding was like melted off. And 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 there's and a police officer like sees this is like an explosion on a hill. Sees this, calls the fire department, is going up there, gets up gets up to the top, gets to the gate, security guards sleeping in his car. 
subsequently, the insurance company in like, you know, investigating how much of this they have to cover looks into the security company. The security company is like, their permits and stuff were a little on the kind of everything wasn't really checking out. And then that that company closed down and I was out of a job um, because of that. And then I was like looking through the wanted ads and I was like, fuck this. I was just on Conan. Right. Uh, I'm just going to be a comedian. And that's when I became a full time comedian. <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> uh it's so funny when, when those things happen, like you, you walk off stage and you're still, you, you walk off being on TV and being seen by millions of people and you're still broke and you just lost your job as a security guard. You know, Johnny oh, Taylor man. has a, a great story about being on just an absolute high from one of his big breaks and still feeling good, walks down to the corner store to buy like a Snickers and a Coke and has his card declined. Oh yeah. And it's just like, okay, uh, I'm still yeah. shit. <laughs> Thank you universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh at, man. At what I've had point, way too many of those. At what point in this, in this evolution of your comedy, does it occur to you to start talking about bigger subject matter, to start talking about the psychedelic exploration um, which by yeah. the way, I also want to know if that exploration was going on through all of this. Yeah. Um, I started doing psychedelics when I was like 16 years old. And, okay. and if, if, uh, I mean, I always had psychedelic jokes in my act here and there, but they were always, they were always like, um, goofy. They were always like, um, right. They, they were always like, oh, I got so high and did this stupid thing, sort of. Uh, like, I, I I had a joke on my first album that was um, about eating mushrooms um, and accidentally wandering into a Best Buy and uh, accidentally finding, my, not realizing I found myself in the camcorder department and I thought I was watching a movie about me watching a movie about me. <laughs> and, and, um, oh, I think the tagline was like, and why am I masturbating? A lot of masturbation right. jokes back then. Um, that's, and that's gold. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, but, but I, I didn't, I found that you couldn't talk about the subject too much, or at least not in a meaningful way, um, without doing a theme show. So what happened was, a few things. One, I had already started doing. So basically the main thing was in 2009, my dream came true. I mean, I was, I was absolutely my all through high school. I was like, I I just want to get a comedy central presents a 30 minute special. If I did that, that would be enough. Like also in my mind, if you had one of those, you were set, you know, you at least got to like, work the road for the rest of your life or, or whatever, which at the time wasn't completely untrue. Um, right. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I was, when I was like 15, um, but, uh, but anyway, in 2009, I, I remember specifically, I, I had, uh, me and, and Rachel Feinstein recorded our, uh, our, uh, Comedy Central presents on on the same night, and I had um, uh, you know an absolutely like killer set. It was like 
at the time everything that I wanted it to be. Um, everything like crushed. I had uh, I, I had this after party um, where I, I had I had rented out a, a space on the second floor of a bar nearby, and I had had like all these, you know, my girlfriend is there, a bunch of my family's there, uh, a bunch of like old high school friends, a bunch of my comic friends, and we're having this huge after party. And I, I got the drinks for everybody and all this other stuff. And, and I, and, and I was like, I, I'm an alcoholic, but I, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't uh, drink that night because I wanted to, or, or I stuck to beer or something. I wanted to make sure I remembered it. And I remembered it was like, you know, my dream came true and uh, everything like went perfectly according to plan. And I remember this feeling like that night, the whole time, you know, I'm having a nice time. I'm happy. I'm grateful. And at the same time, it was just like, now what? Now, right. now what am I going to do? I have no, I, I didn't, I didn't think past this. And that's like that uh, astronaut, that moon man syndrome. Yeah, it like really just was. go back to washing the dishes now. And at the and other things were going on at the same time, which was like, you know, I was kind of uh, I wasn't as popular as I would have liked to have been when I was in school. And so, like, I always wanted to be one of the cool guys. And being in Boston, like, I really got to be like a, the cool guy in town and stuff. And I got to feel that. And and I got to like. It get get the hot girl and everything else and i'll tell you it, like the reality of that situation was really embarrassed it was just like this is what i cared about this is why i like <laughs> almost killed myself so many times and like be careful what you and, wish for and, and yeah and so so at the same time like this idea of the spotlight uh and like wanting attention and i'm now like nearing 30 and becoming more self-aware was something that was just like kind of embarrassing and starting to become embarrassing and and at least and a few things happened one i had i so i put together an hour like okay i guess the next steps i put together an hour and i started working international gigs and so at the same time, I had, one, been exposed to this new way of doing comedy, which was putting together themed shows. Like, remember when Nanette came out on Netflix right. and it, like, set the world on fire? Um, that's, like, that's what international comedy has been for, like, a very right. long time. That's just novel here. And, and I was thinking, well, what would my thing be? And at the exact same time, I remember I performed an hour of material at Cap City in Austin and, and, and the, uh, um, the, these bookers from Comedy Central, a couple of friends of mine happened to be in town and I'm like, Hey, come and check out my hour, you know, to see if I could get an hour on Comedy Central. And I remember when I was done doing that, I mean, it, it, the set went well and everything. And, um, you know, I'm sure I could have talked with them and, and pushed and said, hey, let's work on this and figure this out. And I remember when it was done, I was like, is this, th this is just like more of the same, like drinking jokes right. and masturbation jokes and stuff. And doing international stuff, I was like, well, what, what would my themed thing be? I happen to have a bunch of jokes about time travel 
in my act. I didn't even realize it at the time, but I had like right. 10 jokes about time travel. It's like, maybe I can do a solo show about time travel. And then I was like, oh, maybe it'd be about physics. I was always reading physics books. I was always, okay. I, I was also an ink or, or science books just generally not, not, I'm not like a quick reader and I wouldn't say like I'm a huge reader, but when I did read, I was always reading science books. I never really thought about it with comedy. I was just, that was my hobby. And I was like an angry atheist growing up. And so I needed to learn physics to explain to people where the universe actually came from with the big bang and stuff. And then I needed to learn about evolution um, uh, too, just mostly just to argue with people. And then, um, through that, I learned more about evolution, gave me a lot of respect for, uh, the human mind and how the mind evolved. And I got really into evolutionary psychology. One might say obsessed, obsessed and, and, uh, and got really, you know, watching tons of David Attenborough stuff and started because for for a minute there i thought maybe i'd be a political comedian or something and was watching like the 24-hour news cycle and then this other thing just grabbed me and i knew it was like because i went from like reading christopher hitchens and like getting you know working the road and like i'm gonna go into dallas and tell him how stupid jesus is and like (laughs) i still don't mind doing that but Uh, right that can be great fun yeah, it can be. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, you know, I wonder if there's a way that I could present this stuff in a way that like people just haven't had a chance to, you know, understand like like something like behavioral economics, for example, is a great way of like uh, even even someone that, you know, you might have some shop owner that doesn't give a shit about science. But if you're like, hey, your your retail store will sell more of this and that if you spritz some lavender or whatever you know and then their sales go up they're gonna be like what other tricks you got and you know they might take right. interest and so i started i started thinking about like well i could present like you know some of the science behind mating behavior and and uh some things like that i i did a special called mating season and then i i started putting together an act about the evolution of of negative emotions which uh, i thought would be a good place for all of my kind of darker material and then i broke my feet after i had like finished putting the set together and that really helped actually because it was already <laughs> about like the psychology of like the utility of pain and fear and and that sort of thing and it gave it a little personal anecdotal touch which people seem to respond to and um and then that was my big break yep that was my big break and uh, this was um and and that when i broke my feet that was like supposed to be the first week i was recording my science podcast i now at this time have made friends with some scientists and had been like reaching out to people I didn't know if I wanted to put together a show in LA or what I, or if I was going to pitch a TV show. I didn't really know what, um, had, had just ended a podcast cause I ended a relationship that I was uh, podcasting with my, um, my girlfriend at the time. And then, and so I had room on my plate for a new podcast. I was touring. I decided like, wouldn't it be cool if I just went around to universities in town and like looked people up and I'm, I'm starting to know enough stuff now to hold a decent conversation. I, I helped teach a class at UCLA, um, and, uh, and was starting to feel a little more confident in my, in my, uh, ability to, communicate science and then i went on pete holmes podcast 
to promote my album, My Big Break. And okay. we were going to talk about my foot injury. And he asked me where I was. And I was like, oh, I was in Sedona, Arizona. And, and then, you know, but anyway, about my feet. And he's like, well, what were you doing in Sedona? Well, I was going there <laughs> to do ayahuasca for the first time, which uh, I never got to do because I broke my feet. For, What's ayahuasca? Well, there's this stuff, DMT, that I smoke. What's DMT? And then I started explaining my DMT experiences, and that took over the entire show. He's like, <laughs> come again? What's this? And I have, you know, a lot of, um, I, I, I think, uh, novel um, kind of science-y takes on what, what psychedelics might say about um, consciousness that uh, I, I, that people, I guess, respond to in a positive way. I didn't, at the time, basically, as far as I know, outside of using psychedelics as an excuse to be like, look at this goofball thing I did um, right. in, in a joke, I didn't think that there was, you know, I was a club comic, so I didn't think that there was a market for, I was like, if I want to, it was always in my back pocket that one day, you know, if I become a big enough comedian, I'm selling out theaters or something like that and can just talk about whatever I want to talk about. I would like to do a show about psychedelics, but my agent at the time happened to be Pete's agent as well. Listened to me on there was like, what was that DMT stuff? That was the most interesting <laughs> thing. I was like, Oh, just so you know, we're new to working together. I, I have all of this. I have an hour of material about psychedelics. I only ever do like five minutes of it at a time because otherwise the audience will turn on me. But, but I've always thought that <laughs> it would be fun to do a whole show. And like, maybe that would be like my Edinburgh fringe festival show or something like that. And, um, and she was like, uh, she was like, let's just put together an indie show. And ah, good, went, good on her. I was it, sure that your agent was going to be like, wait, you're smoking what now? Like why I'm representing who? Uh, oh <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, um, that's great. It, yeah. It was the, it was the, uh, she did a couple awesome things for me in the small time we were working together. And that was, uh, that was one of the things. Um, and that was my second agent and, and she, and so, yeah, so I went to, um, you know, I went to this bar in Florida, like this indie room and the comic filled it with people for me and had this this cool poster done by this fantastic artist and comedian, Ramin Nazer, who everyone should follow yes. on Instagram. Um, he's absolutely wonderful. He, oh, yeah. He, he's 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 got to be like the best artist to follow on Instagram. Um, he's funny and insightful and his work is so great. But, um, so I had this like great poster and I, you know, you read my bio earlier and bios right. are like the cringiest thing for a comic to write. And I was listening to it and I was like, you know what? That's not a bad bio. Like that's no. it. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, and you know why it's not a bad bio is because doing indie shows, made me realize for the first time like oh people actually read these things sometimes right and sometimes just saying the right thing can connect with the right people and it does it can actually make a difference and so this is like just what i started figuring out this is like 2014 or 15 now and I started figuring it out and I started figuring out like social media and like running Facebook ads and like different things or like getting people to put posters up in different like 
record stores and stuff like that. And, you know, just how do I do this? How do I, how do I do this indie thing and doing it on like, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll work, I'll work in Dallas, uh, Thursday through Saturday, get my, um, you know, get my headlining 1500 bucks or whatever. And then I'll, and then I'll do this, um, this show on, on Sunday, this psychedelic show. And then, the shows just started. I didn't know there was a market for it, but the very first time I did it, there's like 50 people there. And, you know, I've absolutely, you, you know, when you absolutely crush and then afterwards people are like, Hey, nice job. And like, <laughs> or, or it's, like, it's funny because people are like, I guess that's just how comedy goes. Right. You know? right. Like, they don't know. Where, where you want to tell them. You're like, wait, wait, no, you don't understand. It's not normally that good. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and like, you can watch some other shows and then you come back and tell me what you thought. Yeah. You almost don't want people to give you too many compliments after a show because it usually means they felt bad for you or something. Right. You know? Um, but this was something different. I did the psychedelic show. It was the first time I did it. I like strung together. Actually, what had happened before that, before I ever tried the show, I was in Houston. The, the show got stormed out like devastating storms. And of course, comics, there was like some comedy contest there that I was supposed to be closing out for while they calculate the tabulate the things the comics still want the contest to go on so they all show up <laughs> and now i got to do 45 minutes of material to only comics and i don't want to do my setup punch uh you know things right. that and so i was just like oh, i'll just wing whatever material about psychedelics that and that was the first time that i knew like oh there's a show here and then um and so yeah and then the first time i did it for an audience like like I said, there's only about 50 people there, but like 40 of them waited in line afterwards to like I love that. ask me questions about it and tell me how great. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is something. This is something special. And and you did. You really found a, a niche because there's other comedians who talk about drugs and, and some comedians I really like who talk about drugs and about their drug experiences. But you're not talking about partying with drugs you're talking i mean you call it a comedian's exploration of psychedelics and you really while while still being funny you really analyze it and take it apart and uh yeah it's something different it's something i don't hear anybody else doing about that topic in comedy I'm obsessed with how the mind works and what consciousness is all about. And I've always just been looking for an inroad of like how I just want to have big conversations. How can I trick people into having big conversations? Hey, uh, what, if, what if I make some real sciencey, complicated dick joke? Will, will you listen to that? Okay, that kind of works. If I break my feet, will you listen, listen to me talk about like, right. the psychology? Uh, how about drugs? Will you? And like for me, psychedelics are the gateway to like psychology and consciousness and, and, and philosophy. And, and it's a way of, and that was the other thing that happened early on. I had bits of information definitely um it, it, the very first time that i that i did the show i i definitely had you know it was more cerebral than most of my stuff there was stuff where i had slightly longer periods of time 
where I was sharing information or setting up a joke. And that can be so intimidating. It is so scary. Well, it, it was like my new, I've always looked for things to get myself out of my comfort zone. And that right. has been my thing for years now is how long can I go intentionally <laughs> without getting a laugh between laughs? Yeah. Like intentionally and then getting that. Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, having the, I love that you stress the intentionally. Well, <laughs> And then that that's also why you need to do a theme show for a lot of these things, because some some of these setups that take so long, you have to have made it worth it. So now like, right. Well, OK, I it might seem like I just wasted five minutes of your time. But for the next 50 minutes, I'm going to be calling back and building on this idea. We've now created a new lens through which we see the world. And I'm going to show you like this funny new way of looking at things. And um and so, uh, whereas, whereas just like doing a random joke, setting up a complicated idea for one punchline and maybe a tag is just, isn't worth it as well. But, but that was immediately my feedback was, Oh, I liked the little bits of information. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then inside so sprinkle in a little more, you know, and each time I sprinkled in a little more and a little more until I was like, Oh my, some of these things aren't even jokes. Some of these things right. I'm just like sharing like a cool idea. Holy crap. And and that was like really exciting for. Me. And then once in a while, I, you know, I'd see like, oh, okay, that's a bit much. I'm losing people. And, okay, right, right. And have to find a joke there or make yeah. information more efficient. And and I would have people all the time be like, uh, I I could tell you got a little self-conscious when things were quiet there for a minute. I think people were just very interested in yeah. like what you had to say. And like people would go out of their way to say stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so it, it, it you, know, you know, it made me like retool everything that I was doing. And like my wife to now like stand up science, like I, I make sure I'm like, this show is half comedy ish. And half right. science. If anything, <laughs> it's probably like sixty percent science. Right. Uh, and and so you know, I just I I I like that. Um, I don't know. I, I I I just I just like the idea of of something something sticking with someone um, uh, a little a little bit more than like the really funny one-liner that they're going to remember, like an actual right. concept where they walk out and it, you know, I, I went to a Roger Waters concert on mushrooms like a few years ago. And it was, I mean, it was wild for a lot of ways, but as, <laughs> as I was walking out, um, some of the themes of the show, like had me like looking at buildings and things like that, more and just like the structures and, and and thinking about like the government and and how people interact and things and and I was like oh that's this is all a show and the show's just a reminder that the show's happening and so right. like the idea <laughs> is that hopefully a show will change the way that you look at a certain thing and so you don't ever, you know, uh, even when it's silly things like, um, um, uh, you know, uh, no one, I used to have a joke about, about, um, my, 
my car this this is before i did meaningful things my car had a uh, <laughs> my car had a, a a button on it that allowed you to turn off the passenger side airbag and right. and i and uh, i was like oh i use it all the time you know like anytime my girlfriend's like Hey, slow down. What are you trying to kill us? Like, not us. Click. And, <laughs> and, you know, and then you'll have someone write you and be like, Hey, I have one of those buttons. I'll never look at it the same or whatever. But you can do that with concepts. You know, you can actually right. change the lens through which people uh, see the world. And I think that although you're going to uh, strike out a lot more uh, with ambitions like that, when it happens, uh, it's, it's really something that at least in the U S not many people are doing. Yeah. And, and people do, they, I've, I've started playing with themed shows as well. My current special is, is all about, you know, jobs that I've had and, but also kind of a tribute to a, a mentor of mine. Um, and, right. and you're right. It, it's scary and it's intimidating and you'll strike out a little bit more, but yeah, the people that are into it are so into it. And yeah. the responses you get with they're like, I didn't know that a comedy show could do that. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I was going to interject earlier, uh, we were talking about when the, when the audience is quiet and that terror there, one thing that my oh, wife man. said to me that helped me through that was if they're quiet, you're doing good. If they're starting to talk to each other and shift in their seat, you're blowing it. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm putting that, that in my back with me. pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going to stick with me too. That was very helpful. I was like, oh, they are quiet. They're listening to me. But yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah. as a comedian, you're just, you're trained that, oh shit, I haven't made them laugh in a whole minute, two minutes, three minutes. When I started comedy, I would, I had a recorder, I recorded every show and I would, uh, I would listen back and I would record, um, I would write down how many seconds each, um, joke was, how many seconds were between each laugh. I would write the levels of the laugh and I would figure out like, is this, is this tag worth it? I would be like, this is, can I get like three words out of here? This is, this is too long between these. I need four laughs per minute. I mean, that's why I was a good late night comedian. I couldn't write. I haven't done late night in years. I haven't even submitted anything because I mean, I think I'd do okay. And I think I could, I think I could train and, 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 and get that, get it back. But I haven't, I haven't done anything like in that style in like god like five years or something like that not even close you've heard this statistic that during the stand-up comedian is when the largest number of people change the channel late night oh yeah i i wonder if part of that is that they are stuck in that old route and and maybe they would do better to have some comedians on doing something different you know yeah or or put the stand up on as the middle, I, I, you know, it's not the, it, 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 you know, like every, everyone will stick around to watch Brad Pitt. Like it, let the comic go before. Uh, him. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> no one should have to follow Brad Pitt. Uh, yeah. Who the no hell am I? No one should have to follow <laughs> Brad Pitt. <laughs> 
<laughs> I um, mean, there's so many things wrong with with uh, late night. I I can I could list all of them if if uh, or many of them if you like, but uh, I I don't, know <laughs> I don't know if it's interesting or to I, listeners I you, or if we have time. But but yeah, there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't work very well. Uh, I want to actually talk about what you're doing now. Uh, I know that that's largely affected by the pandemic. I, I absolutely loved the the science comedy show. Thanks. One of the funnest shows that I've done. And and I did walk out of there affected by the talks that they gave. And I somebody talked about um, sort of inherent bias and yeah, a woman self-hacking her own brain by writing a computer program that would just zap a positive image of a black person on the screen just for a split second, you know, once a minute or so. <laughs> yeah. Thought, was, wow. That was, that's incredible. And I, you know, I mean, I, I talked to my daughter about that, about because my daughter very much wants to not be a racist. And I talked about how in order <laughs> to accomplish that goal, we have to confront this, this inherent bias that we have. And, and I told her about that program and that we need to see positive images. And, um, what an incredible night. Uh, so I assume there'll be more of that when the when we're allowed to tour again. Yeah, I'm actually changing up. I'm, I'm going to try a new format with the show, um, which is that it would just be me doing a full set for 30 to 45 minutes. So those people that are like fans of mine feel like they've like at least gotten their money's worth like that way uh, on, okay. a, on a particular subject like behavioral economics or um or uh, uh like cognitive biases um so I'm, I'm kind of writing a few different themes and then getting local professors in town that research the topics and then inviting them and a local comic up to make it a little more like so the end with the q a was always my favorite part and having having the academics and the second comic that isn't necessarily like their stand-ups not always the best fit for the show academics all aren't always the the most comfortable in the environment but everyone seems to do well in like the more conversational aspect at the end um, yeah, the Q&A was a blast. So I'm kind of changing it to that, I think. And then, and then, um, you know, I did, I did stand up science for a year before, or a year and a half before the, before COVID. So I'm taking this time to kind of reassess and see right. what worked and what didn't and like academics blow their time worse than comedians do. So I tell them to do like okay. a 12 minute talk and they do a <laughs> 25 minute talk. And then I see people like, getting tired or I see the venue getting upset with me for the show right. going over or like whatever else. So it just solves a lot of problems if I'm just on stage all of the time. Um, right. But, but yeah, so I'll be doing stuff like that. I'm writing a, I'm writing one book pretty seriously right now um, with a friend. Um, that's a little bit like uh, it's kind of like, um, uh, it's a it's a hair like animal farm um in a way but more um talking about like aspects of evolutionary biology and consciousness and stuff and and not not so much like um analogous to a current political situation right. um and uh and 
Um, and then I, I'm, I'm also writing a thing. I, I, I have some ideas about consciousness and memory in some of our drives that I've never really heard anyone talk about. And I've never heard any fields of research, but I've been running by some people. And so I'm, I'm writing some stuff about that, but that wouldn't be comedic i don't think in any ah. way so uh well, if anyone so, could make it so <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see i you know I, man this has been an interesting break for for me because i i decided early on that i was just going to put stand up aside um and take a break and not try to do distant shows and not even try right. to do like remote shows or anything um and i have lots of uh my my old comedy police came back as as like as when we're our most vulnerable um much of our uh some of our true selves or lesser selves come <laughs> come to the surface so everyone's like in some ways the most of themselves they've like you know like the the conspiracy theorists are the most conspiracy right. they've ever been the republicans and democrats are the most extreme they've ever been the environmentalists are the most like we told it you that mother nature was gonna make you pesky litter bugs pay for this and uh, <laughs> it, you know just like everyone's everyone's the most into their thing and i'm noticing like my comedy police uh they're like what the hell are you guys doing with some of the stuff of, you know, bless their hearts, people trying to make the most of this. But I've decided to just take a break from it altogether. You know, I've been obsessing about stand-up comedy um, for 30 years. And uh, I'm, I'm, taking, uh, I'm taking a little break. And then I'm, I, I mean, I was just, I was writing some stand-up jokes today, even. But in terms of performing or anything, I just kind of, uh, I, I just kind of want to, um, try out a few other things and not worry about trying so, to make everything funny and yeah you're not you're not booking the zoom shows and you're not no i'm i'm taking i'm si- I'm sitting in in three class three different classes this semester with some past guests that i enjoyed and reached out to and asked if i could take some of their classes and i'm oh, very just cool. like uh doing a doing a bunch of learning a bunch working on my health I quit smoking cigarettes. I quit drinking. I did all sorts of. I'm doing like yoga and exercising, and I'm just like uh, focusing on that kind of stuff at the moment. You, but I, I you think, are. Uh, go ahead. Well, my my hope is, and the reason why I'm not doing Zoom shows is I'm trying to not do anything that is a quarantine, that is a COVID compromise, like a distance show or anything. Right. I'm only trying to do things that are investments into my future. So I am doing things um, like starting a Discord, putting more into my Patreon. I never used Instagram before COVID. Um, I, I made a web series for the first time ever, uh, at the beginning of this, I'm writing a book for the first time ever, right. you know, like, uh, trying out a bunch of, of, of things, not just like, Oh, if I can make a few bucks or like, right. Right. And I'm also not worried about being rusty. People seem to like worry about like getting rusty. I'm like, ah, I mean, I, I think I'll knock that off in, in two months. Uh, yeah. Give, give me 20 shows. I'll knock whatever rust off. However, if I went and did 
a bunch of distance shows in bombed for two years. Right. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> that might destroy me. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think that that's, I mean, you and I have both been at this for about the same amount of time. And I think that that helps with yeah. the, the whole fear of being rusty. You know, I, I've had little, never this long, but I've had little breaks here and there before. And I know that I, I do come back rusty and I, I do, it's not like starting over at the beginning. You, no. you fall back into it pretty quickly. And so, it's an opportunity um, to lose some bad habits too. For sure. Know? Yeah. Yeah. God, it's a, it's a weird thing I was thinking about when I was learning how to skateboard. Uh, I observed that sometimes I could work on a trick all day, but it was taking a break from it. And then I'd come back yep. and I would, I would have it, you know, I, sometimes Same with that rock climbing. a lot of good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the podcast, you're still doing the podcast every week. I am. Yeah. There's, uh, some weird thing I going on with, uh, if, if for the listeners listening on iTunes, hopefully by the time you're hearing this, it's all, all of the new episodes are back up on there. Um, okay. some, some weird, the last like two months don't appear on there unless you've subscribed. But oh. anyway, uh, that's, that's a fluke thing. Um, but uh, that I've been dealing with for two days and it's been on my mind. But uh, yes, my podcast is called Here We Are. People can go to the herewearepodcast.com website. Um, and we talk about, like, I just had an episode about um, narcissism and, and more generally personality research that I think was, like, really fantastic. Um, I don't know when this is, when is this coming out? Um, right around Thanksgiving. Okay, around that time, I, I just recorded an episode about uh, the birth control pill and how it, um, this return guest, Sarah Hill, wrote this book about how uh, it changes like mate preferences and um, hmm. and stress hormones in certain ways and things that, that like doctors should be informing people about that you want to be aware of. And uh, the takeaway is men, men should be getting vasectomies, uh, which, which is <laughs> like... I really couldn't say that enough, even though I don't have one myself because I'm a hypocrite. But um, <laughs> but uh, it was a super, super fun and, and funny episode. I, I don't consider my podcast to be a comedy podcast in any way. And there's an, there's entire episodes where we like are talking about Alzheimer's or something that's like absolutely devastating and a serious subject matter. But uh, but we also sometimes have uh some great laughs and it's uh you'll learn a lot uh, about life and yourself hopefully is the aim of it and i'm it's my baby i'm i'm very proud of it and uh if you sign up for my email list i'll have more projects to come and i i only email people like once every three months or something like that max so it won't great it won't fill up your your inbox so here we are, podcast.com, uh, shanemoss.com. Yeah, I guess I use inst of the social media, unless you want to see me like really doing some open mic stuff and and see the worst aspects of who I am, uh, you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter. Um, but, um, but Instagram, I've really, I, I'm, I'm brand new to it, you know, like I said, since COVID and I'm so far quite fond of it. I, I what have, your I have uh, Instagram, uh, uh, 
Shane underscore Moss. Instagram's okay. one of those things that like, you know, I'm so late to the game, but I'm so I'm experiencing like the it's like I'm telling people about Instagram for the first time. Like, there's all these right. cute animals and like skateboard tricks. <laughs> <laughs> like i thought it was i thought it was purely like a narcissist tool like, like right. eating food and stuff like that that's i i heard I mean, the that's how i use mine about it and i was like there. yeah no thanks um and, <laughs> and now i'm uh I, I now it's my favorite thing i also i took like a three-year break when when trump took office i left social media um, I ran some social media ads and stuff like that and maybe like tweeted once a month or something like that. But, okay. um, but basically left social media. I had, I had an assistant, uh, that would run things to post show info and stuff like that, um, to help promote my local shows and, uh, and stayed off of it. And then, you know, i came back during COVID and, uh, man, like the dip, uh, let me tell you, Facebook has, really got i mean it's dramatic you know how like when you don't see um someone's kid for someone's like reborn right. for a while and you're like They've boy that kid's so grown but to the parent it hasn't changed that much they've been there every day and you don't realize it uh facebook is really uh some pretty awful 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 stuff on there uh, uh it's it's like it's like not even I'll, I'll post something like just like a i wouldn't even say cerebral joke and definitely not political or whatever which i have some of those too but but man i've never had to explain jokes to people so right. much it's like is this just my grandma and her friends on here now is that like the kind of <laughs> audience that i got a picture when i post something like oh what now in i need the you world? i need you to go mess with tiktok now shane oh, i think boy. that's i think that's what's called no it's fantastic the really? way you are about instagram right now is the way i am about TikTok. <laughs> it's just, and it's kids okay. it's it's more of the young people and they're like what are all you old people doing here and i'm like we're here because you're so great <laughs> we don't Hang out with ourselves. We want to hang out. <laughs> so, um, thank, thank you so much for spending all this time with me. And I, I hope yeah, listeners will you. check out your other projects uh, out there. Uh, again, this has been Shane Moss, uh, scientific explorer, comedian. <laughs> Uh, podcaster. I've been yeah. your host. My name is Keith Ol Jensen. My producer is Joe Honor. Our original art is done by Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer is Jack Matrenga. Joe and Jack are with Hyperpixel. Hyperpixel is a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e-commerce, offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Go to uh, Hyper pixelca.com to check them out our original music was done by dj real which i say every week but you know i should stop and and tell you go check out dj real he's hilarious uh great comedian and and he does wonderful music um coming up soon we have Jay Tholen, an independent video game designer, creator of Dropsy the Clown. I know I've been teasing you with that one for a while, but he's coming. And I think up next, we've got Jeffrey Brown, one of my favorite uh, comic book artists and writers. Uh, I fell in love with his book, Clumsy. Uh, since then, he's 
gotten become a, a household presence with Vader's Little Princess and Jedi Academy, both books that I know my daughter has and your kids probably do too. Please follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Keith Lowell and, and also on TikTok. And follow the podcast at KLJ Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you once again, Shane, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.